Good morning, everyone. I want to introduce our storyteller for the day. That song was just perfect for what I was going to say about Ron Thompson. Uh, he's a man who has learned about what it means and what it feels like to look to God and to hope and to pray. So, Ron, come on up and tell us your story. Don't, Julie, don't discount this off on my time. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Things like this always happen to me, as you'll see as we go, uh, as I go through this story. Uh, this is um, this is Yeso Terrace today, and uh, I linked up when I was in the projects as, as a teenager. I linked up with eleven other guys, who. Uh, <clears throat> And we form bonds that uh, continue uh, to this to this day. One of them was Af African American. One was uh, Native American. Uh, one Filipino. One Japanese, and the uh, the two two point five Jews, <laughs> and uh, the rest a bunch of white guys. And I was the I was the point point five Jew. Here, uh, here are a bunch of us in about 1952 or three. All we knew really was, was poverty, and we were uh, genuine juvenile delinquents that uh, just created mayhem in the neighborhoods. We, you could see us at any given time uh, running down the streets of Seattle with the police after us. I mean, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you, and... Uh, we could, there wasn't a theater in the city of Seattle that we couldn't sneak into. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, these guys uh, grew up to become uh, men of responsibility, a distinction in many cases, I would say, and uh, leaders uh, in their community and, and in their fields. I didn't become a Christian until I was about 30, 34 years of age. Uh, this group still still meets, and this is a shot of uh, most of them at about, eight, about 1980. We meet a couple of times a year, so we have a, a solid bond that was formed there between us in the, in the projects. I want to tell you an example of how stupid I was when I was in the housing project. <clears throat> ben Murphy ca uh, called me into his, into his uh, apartment and he showed me this, uh, a, a gun. This is a cap, picture of a cap gun, but it was, it was like this. It was a six-shooter six revolver, and, and he, uh, he handed it to me, and I decided I was going to pull something on him. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I, it, you know, it's a revolver, so I opened, I opened the chamber, and uh, I pretended like I put a bullet in there. And basically, this is a, a magic trick that I, I learned a long time ago. You know, and you have it, have it in your other hand. So that's what I did with the bullet. I took the bullet, and I, I took it like this, and I, I opened the chamber, and I put, pretended to push it in. But before that, I opened the chamber, and I dumped out all six bullets onto the table. And then I picked up one. I pretended to put it into the chamber. <clears throat> then I closed it, and I spun it. And I said, let's play Russian roulette. And I put it to my head, and I click. Of course, click. There was no bullet in there. <clears throat> So then I said, all right, all right, Ben, it's your turn. And I pointed it at him. 
And he said, are you, are you crazy? <laughs> and uh, and as, as I, just before I, as I was squeezing the trigger, something caused me to just move the, move the, the, the gun over slightly. And I pulled the trigger. And a bullet went right through the wall, a foot, a foot away from his head. I, I, I couldn't believe it. There was, there was no bullet in that gun. I didn't put a bullet in the gun. And he, uh, I think at about that point, he lunged at me and <laughs> like, tried, grabbed the gun. And, and I, said, I said, Ben, I said, I, 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 said, I, I did a magic trick. With, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I said, here's, and I showed him the bullet in my hand. I put it on the table. There's six bullets there. This is impossible. And we had no idea what on earth was, what had happened. It wasn't until years later that we found out that this manufacturer, this gun that makes an aid shooter also, and apparently that's what we had there. And, and uh, I, 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 said, I said, good grief. I said, I, I, I could have uh, uh, I, I I shot myself in the head. He says, what, what are you talking about? You could have shot me in the head, you idiot. <laughs> These antics uh, are, there are too many to be able to tell you. Um, as an adult, uh, I believed in God, but I didn't, uh, I rejected the Bible. I felt Jesus Christ was a myth. Didn't go to church, didn't really go to synagogue either. And this was my position up until I got into college and an adult. And then, and then uh, I read a book by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth and where, where he talked about all of the prophecies that could come true uh, for Israel. And I was just blown away by this. And I decided that uh, this book had to be written by, by God to have all these prophecies come through. True. I studied some... And there was a chapter at the end of the book uh, uh, where he had people pray, and on, all on my own, I prayed to receive Christ into my heart about age 34 while I was, uh, while I was teaching. Then God brought me to this church. When Bud Palmberg was a pastor at that point. He pressed me into service very quickly, uh, allowed me to oversee the Christian education program, here in this church in the 70s, and then later the, uh, <clears throat> the Bible study uh, small group uh, uh, ministry. Remember Ben, ben Murphy, uh, the, the guy I almost shot? <laughs> um, I'd, prayed, I'd prayed for Ben uh, as an adult for over 30 years. Uh, because he's, he's my best friend. And... At, at, uh, a few years ago, I was, the Holy Spirit gave me the incredible joy to be able to pray with him, and he, and he received Christ uh, as well. Now, listen to this. Um, ben lives in Florida, and five or six of us went down for a reunion in Florida, stayed at his house. In the morning, uh, his wife says, uh, Ben, we, got, we have to head out to the church. So I asked if I could go with him. I went, I went fabulous service. I was sitting next to Ben in church. <clears throat> um, 
I, it's hard to tell this sometimes. I was sitting next to Ben in church, and while they were playing a hymn, I began to get these visions of the two of us running through the streets of Seattle, police in hot pursuit, all these crazy, horrible things we were doing. And here now, the two of us, in Christ, sitting in this church, and, and I became overwhelmed, and the Spirit of the Lord came on me. I, I began to weep with the idea of, of what God had done to, for us. So, when we were going, uh, got in the car, and we're going home, his wife says, so, how did you, you like the service? And I said, I thought it was great. And then Ben says, you know, and his voice kind of trembling, he says, you know, at the same time that, that this was happening to you, he says, I didn't look over at him. He didn't look over at me. At the same time this was happening to you, tears were flowing down my eyes, and I was thinking the exact same thing. And he told me that, and I thought, <clears throat> I mean, this is no doubt, this is a, a, a clear act of the Lord. And, and just by his grace and his mercy, he allowed us each to receive this at that, at that point. So I praise God for for that, and this has been an abbreviated uh, aspect of this story, and uh, in, I want to, uh, two, two weeks from now, I want to invite you men to the men's breakfast upstairs, where I'll be the, the speaker and uh, have a good, a lot longer length of time. So you'll be able to hear a, a lot more of the story, uh, and uh, <clears throat> Interestingly, sorry, sorry, women, if you can't attend that, but uh, in, in any event, I wrote, wrote a book that just came out called The Boys from the Projects. There's a copy of it. It just came out um, Friday. And if you, uh, if you women or anyone else want, want to get the, sto the, the, the story and read it, uh, I will have, I've put some cards like this that you can pick up back there in the, in the, uh, on the table. It'll tell you how to order it on, uh, on Amazon. Okay. Thank you for listening to my story. <clears throat> now. A scripture reading for this morning is from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, a passage from uh, New International Version, and it should be on the screen pretty soon. <laughs> now that same day, two men who were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, faces downcast, and one of them, one of them called a uh, name uh, Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does uh, not know the things that have happened here these days? What things, he asked. Uh, <clears throat> About Jesus of Nazareth, they, they replied. 
He was a prophet, powerful, and word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and the rulers uh, handed him over and sentenced him to death and crucified him. But we had <clears throat> hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, on the third day, uh, since all this took place, in addition, some of the women amazed us. They were in the tomb uh, this morning, but didn't find the body. They came, they told us that they'd seen visions of angels who said he, he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was as the woman had said, but they uh, did not see Jesus. So he said to them, how foolish are you that are slow to believe that all the, prophet, that all the prophets have spoken leave all the prophets spoken. Did you, the, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village in which, the, in which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. Uh, it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so I went to stay with them. When he sat at the table with them, he, he took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, be, uh, began to give uh, to them. Their eyes were open, they recognized him, but he disappeared from sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <clears throat> there they found the eleven, and those of them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has uh, risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you for your story, Ron. I'm just glad that uh, when I was in high school, Ron was the science teacher. I didn't have him at Sammamish High School, and uh, perhaps if I'd had him, I would have learned a little more about science, but uh, anyway, thanks for sharing your story. Well, good morning and happy first Sunday after Easter. You know, it seems like in the church, the first Sunday after Easter feels like kind of a now what experience, a now what question. We have a lot of energy going in. We have Palm Sunday, and then we have Good Friday, and then we have the big day, and then there can tend to be kind of a letdown after that, after such a full and energetic experience. And it kind of leaves us with a question of what now? Well, our story today is one of my favorites. There's something so encouraging to me about the way Jesus meets these disciples on the road in their what now grief and disillusionment. I was thinking about situations that we experience that leave us thinking, what now? You know, something that seems like it's going to be one way, but it turns out to be not. Maybe a job that was supposed to be great or that college that was the perfect choice turned out to be quite different and not in a good way. A few years ago, actually two years ago today, 
My son Adam got married in San Diego, and my cousin was looking for an Airbnb for her family to stay in. She checked in and found it very different and not at all what she thought it was going to be from the pictures and the description. So she had a what now moment, and what now meant finding a hotel room. Well, marriage can definitely be one of those hopeful experiences that can turn out to be very disillusioning. As a matter of fact, when I counsel people who are getting married, pre-marriage counseling is great, but I always say about six months in, let's check in, because that's when reality sets in. You have this wedding you're planning, you have this great honeymoon, everybody's together, and then after a few months, everybody's still together, and now what? Have you ever noticed that in the stores, the wedding cards are right next to the get well and sympathy cards? I don't know, just saying. Well, here we have in our story, we begin that that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us this account. The same day is referring to Easter or the resurrection day. And the previous verses tell us that a group of women followers went to the tomb, saw that it was empty, came back and reported to the other disciples. And then Peter and John go to check it out, and all they find are pieces of linen. And so the situation looked pretty hopeless at that point. And so we find these two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed one, walking to an obscure town called Emmaus. I really like this picture. You probably all have seen it. It just looks like I want to join in on that conversation. It looks very serene. Well, they're walking on this road, and a stranger joins them. The stranger asks what they're talking about. Now, we know that this stranger is, in fact, Jesus, the one they are talking about. But these two disciples are in a state of hopeless confusion. When Jesus died, they not only lost a friend, and a teacher, but they lost everything they had put their hope in. They did not recognize him, and so instead of the joy that they should have experienced in encountering the resurrected Christ, they were in despair. You know, disappointment can sometimes blind us to God's presence with us. Now, they explained who they knew to be Jesus to be. They knew he was a powerful prophet in word and deed. And this phrase tells us why they are hopeless. They are hopeless because they had hoped he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, they thought he was going to free them from the oppressive government. They were hoping for something different. Well, Cleopas relates to the stranger, Jesus, how he and all the disciples understood Jesus' life and death in relation to their hopes of liberation. Their understanding about the Messiah was a partial understanding, which is why they were so confused. Don't we fall into the same trap? 
We have expectations of God and we want him to meet those expectations. We read certain verses, maybe out of context, and then become disillusioned when God doesn't do what we think he should do. We put words in God's mouth and we say things like, if he was a good God, or if he really cared about me, he would have not let my loved one die. He would have helped me get that perfect job. He would have you fill in the blank. We too are confused and disoriented because our understanding of the nature and work of Christ is limited and partial. The disciples had not understood the aspect of Messiah that had to suffer, even though it was talked about all in the Old Testament. None of us, though, want to accept suffering as a part of life, especially the Christian life, because isn't God just supposed to fix everything for us? And then they say, and what is more, it is the third day since all of this has taken place. You see, it's as if they're saying, and on top of all this, because the mention of this time element, in a sense, adds to the hopelessness, because the cultural understanding of death was that the spirit hovered around the body for three days, and by the third day, it would be clear that no resurrection miracle could take place. The person would be considered fully dead at that point. So in their limited human understanding, there was no possible way that what they had hoped for could ever happen now. And yet, and yet, they were in fact talking to the resurrected Lord. It had taken place. They didn't see it. I want us to stop and think about the irony of this. Here they were, disillusioned and pouring out their hearts to the one who had fulfilled all their hopes and dreams. A quote that I come back to in my life is this, when it looks like everything is falling apart, it's actually falling into place. You see, God is at work in ways I do not see and I should not assume that what I see is the reality of the situation. And so what is wonderful here is that Jesus does not leave them confused and he doesn't just uh, rebuke them, but he corrects their misunderstanding of who he is. I love that he doesn't just leave them where they are, but he brings them along on that road. It reminds me of the verse in Isaiah that says, come let us reason together, says the Lord. He invites us to bring our questions and our confusions to him. Now, what scriptures do you think he used? That would have been quite a Bible study, I would say. Well, he began with Moses and all the prophets, what they already would have known about, to show how he, the Messiah, was embedded in all of the Old Testament. The fact that Jesus used scripture to clarify for them, well, that should say something to us too. When I'm confused about what God is doing or what I think he's not doing, the only way for me to gain clarity is for me to turn back to the scriptures. 
You see, it's really helpful to focus on who is God really? What is truth here? And it's really important to get input from others too. I think that I've shared with you that I see a spiritual director and she is great about making observations and telling me what she thinks God might be saying about my situation. But then she always asks me the question, but what do you think God is telling you about this? You see, God is not a God of confusion. That doesn't mean, though, that we don't get confused. He wants us to be clear on who he is so that in the midst of our confusing circumstances that we all have, we're not confused about him. Well, now these travelers, they're approaching the village, and the two disciples, still not comprehending who Jesus is, ask him to stay, and they end up sharing a meal together. A meal that would move them from sadness and discouragement to hope and joy. Now, the reason for the hope and joy is that in this meal, they finally comprehend who Jesus is. The understanding of his mission and work is more complete now. You see, God revealed Jesus to these disciples in an act of serving a meal. Through taking, blessing, breaking, and giving, Jesus demonstrated that the one who is above all is servant to all. And now they have this fuller picture of the Messiah. He's not just some political leader that's going to come in and take control. Once Jesus enlarged their understanding about who the Messiah was from the scriptures, they were able to recognize him when he displayed this simple act of serving. He came to serve and not be served. And it was not some grand vision or crazy experience, but a common daily act that opened their eyes. So as soon as they comprehended who Jesus was, he disappeared. We don't know why, but we do know that he gave them all they needed to believe in him. And they reflected back and they said, were not our hearts burning as he explained the scriptures to us? You see, there was something that resonated in their hearts as they were hearing the truth about who he was. The same hearts that Jesus said were slow to believe, now they were all in. If they had not been open though to hearing the truth, they could have easily not recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Once they had a correct understanding of who he was from the scriptures, then they were able to put the pieces together. It all made sense. But you see, it was their wrong expectations, ones that they placed on him, that kept them from recognizing his true identity. You know, I have the same problem. I expect God to work the way I think best. And when he doesn't, I ask the question, doesn't he care? Isn't he there? Because I completely miss what he's doing because it's not what I expected him to do. The disciples thought that all was lost when Jesus was crucified. 
They did not understand that he had to suffer and die before he could be resurrected. Death before new life. When everything looked like it was falling apart, God was at work in each detail, and it was all falling into place. They had a very limited view of liberation. Jesus had a much bigger plan. He came to liberate our souls from eternal death. They wanted earthly freedom, but he was offering eternal freedom. I think that some of the things I have expected God to do, and I think he wants something so much more than I'm asking of him. I ask him to remove my suffering or my difficult circumstances, and he says, I want to help you go through it and experience my power in your weakness. You see, I would miss so much if he only kept removing all those obstacles. Because I'm fixed on the temporary. I want comfort. I want ease. But I am so thankful that God wants so much more for me. He wants to take my confusion and my what now questions and give me clarity about who he is so that I can comprehend his presence in the midst of my difficulty. Confusion, it's always going to be part of life here on earth, but someday it will not. Hear this verse from 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is a partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me now completely. Can you relate to this sign? Maybe you're unsure or perplexed, bewildered, disoriented, don't know which way to turn. Are you confused about what God is doing in your life or in someone else's right now? It just doesn't make sense. I have a friend who suddenly lost her husband last Thursday. He'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer 10 days ago. She is beyond confused right now. My prayer for her is that in this hopeless confusion, she can recognize the one who is walking with her in it. Maybe your understanding of Jesus is not complete like the disciples. And doing a deep dive into the scriptures like Jesus did with those disciples will help open your eyes to the work that God is doing in your circumstances right now. Scripture always brings me back to what is true in spite of what I'm seeing or feeling. And I don't know where you are on your journey today. Maybe you feel abandoned by God. Maybe you don't believe he even exists. Well, here is what I do know. Jesus is wanting to give you what you need, just like he did with those disciples, 
to have an understanding of him and recognize him in your life. I want to end with something that I found from a book titled Preaching Christ in the Old Testament. And perhaps it's what Jesus used when he was talking to those disciples on the road. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out not for acquittal, not for condemnation, but for our justice. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable, familiar home and to go out into the void, not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who is not just offered by his father, but sacrificed by his father. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your only son whom you love from me, now we can say to God, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your only begotten son from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord, who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is found in the whole Old Testament over and over again. And Jesus is the bread of life. And so this morning, as we come to the table, I know many of you were confused as to what week it was, but because of our message this morning and how the eyes of these disciples were opened in the breaking of the bread, I thought, how can we not also participate in that. And so, servers, would you please come forward? The Gospels tell us that on the first day of the week, the day our Lord rose from the dead, he appeared to some of his disciples and was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It is true for us as well. Christ is made known to us as we break this bread and we drink this cup together. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we reflect on our reasons for thanksgiving and faith and our need for forgiveness and love. In this time of silence that will follow after I'm done reading, we're gonna remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who called us to share this meal together and we thoughtfully will examine the state of our own faithfulness and our unity with this body. Sisters and brothers, this is food for the journey, perhaps the journey on the road to Emmaus that God has called us to. Let our lives be nourished by the Lord himself as we celebrate together at this table. This table is open to all who believe and who have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it saying, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Come forward as you are ready. This is a gluten-free option for you if you need that. It's been good to be with all of you this morning as we have celebrated the breaking of the bread together and the opening of our, <clears throat> of our eyes to who Christ is in the midst of all. I want to remind you that there is prayer available for you to my left. And as a continuing our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings, the offering boxes are in the back on your way out. Church, would you stand to receive the benediction? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Go in peace now, and may this bread of heaven nourish your soul, open your eyes under everlasting life. Go in peace. Amen.